Welcome to Light Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by Meredith. Hello. I love that you were so jazzed. You had to like boop, boop, boop a little bit. Couldn't help it. It's a yeah. sunny fall day. I've, oh, same here. Know. We very rarely have the same weather report, but I just came back from a walk to, and I don't mean to brag everyone, the library where I am a card carrying member. And it was a delightful little stroll. I love that. I took a walk today with Rosie to get a breakfast sandwich. So love that. it was a love little bit different, but it was nice. Uh, well, and to get yelled at by a gross dude. So like, you know. Don't love that. No. Not a fan. I mean, I I almost wish that it had been somebody catcalling me, but it was somebody scolding me for taking up too much sidewalk. But- Meredith, <laughs> so I hate that. I hate that men speak. Um, but I, I was going to save this story because it's one of my recommendations, but... I'll just tell this story quickly up top. I went to Staten Island recently with Mr. Charles Rockhill for the New York Film Festival. They were showing Bones and All, um, which is Luca Guadagnino's new horror movie. So, you know, your girl was excited Um, and they were showing it a few times, actually, but tickets sold super fast. And one of the only showings that we could get into was in Staten Island. So if you don't know, like, the layout of New York City, it's not very easy to get to Staten Island. It's not super accessible. Um, You can take a ferry, but we didn't want to figure it out. So what we ended up doing was taking the train deeper into Brooklyn. So we were by the bridge and then taking a car the rest of the way. And when you say bridge, you mean Verrazano Bridge. Yes, 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 yes. So, like, Bay Ridge. Brooklyn. Yes, exactly. Um, so it actually was not terrible, but um, so we get there, we're like looking around, and there are parts of Staten Island that are cute. They look like suburban. And I had literally just said to Charles, you know, this isn't as bad as I thought it would be because Staten Island has a reputation. It's very conservative, like a lot of like firefighters and police officers live there. They love Trump, you know, like not to overly generalized but that is what staten island is known as it is the closest to a deep red uh borough as there are in exactly yeah yeah and are there exceptions of course um don't get mad at me if you live in staten island but we're sitting at a red light and i have the window down a little bit and this car full of drunk bros pulls up and they're like hey they're shouting at our driver they're like hey And they can't find, like, some location. Our poor driver is just like, I don't know, guys. Like, I'm trying to work. They realize it's an Uber. And they go, oh, (laughs) and they're, like, laughing for a second. And then they look at me. And there's, like, some, like, murmuring. And then all I hear is, do the carpets match the drapes? And then they peel off. (laughs) And I was like, okay. So I had to tell Charles what happened. Because he was like, what did they say? What did they say? And I was like, I can't believe that just happened after we had this conversation about like, you know, I think I judged Staten Island a little too harshly. Some fucking bro, wasted bro. Did a car that to drink? I was like, oh, no, you're exactly who I think you are. Oh, yeah. We're I like, mean. we have to get the fuck out of here. Um, I also but- love that you said like you didn't want to figure out the ferry. It literally just shows up like every 
20 minutes. So I mean more on the other side of it. So like once we, we were looking at a map because we're like, okay, we have to get to the ferry. So like if we got a ferry from New York City, we would still have to figure out transportation to the theater. Oh, okay. That makes sense because I... I don't know anything about Staten Island. It is where I had to go to meet Rosie as a puppy before I adopted her. Oh, cute. I didn't know she's from Staten Island. Well, she was being fostered by a very wealthy woman who lived in a um, super modern house. So I was like, oh, so the mobsters are super into like <laughs> brutalist architecture now. Interesting. Okay. Uh, cool. but yes, that was, that's the, that's my main experience other than, um, getting Sri Lankan food, which is excellent. And, yes. uh, going to Staten Island Yankees games and being really creeped out. Yeah. Yeah. I will say this, like everyone we met, like the locals, lovely. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about Staten Island as if it's a different country, but it does feel like that <laughs> culturally to come from Brooklyn to Staten Island. And also they reacted that way as well when they were like, where are you guys from? And I said, Brooklyn, they were like, Oh, like it, it is a very different vibe. Um, but yeah, I'll get to bones and all later. I wanted to read this message first from Brian. And by the way, guys, I I've stopped announcing this, but you guys can write in whenever at my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. And I mean, like, if something good happened, you want to share it. Uh, if you've got recommendations, if you have any questions, like, whenever. If you're a supporter of mine, you're VIP. So you can bother me literally whenever. So Brian wrote in, time for this year's spooky season. I think they meant recommendation. An analog horror movie. I'm sure Charles knows what that means. We also know what analog horror movie means. Brian? (laughs) (laughs) Called Winter of 83 that you can watch for free on YouTube on the channel Linkara Atop the Fourth Wall. It's less than an hour and 10 minutes long. We love that. Including credits and has a great spooky atmosphere. It's written and directed by the same guy who directed and co-wrote the horror comedy audio drama I wrecked a few years back called A Voice from the Dark. But the two stories are not connected at all. Speaking of, I'd like to re-up my wreck for A Voice from the Dark with addition of a little drinking game. Take a shot anytime a character says the phrase, what the hell or what do you mean? Or some variation on those two. You won't get wasted unless you're a total lightweight, but you should have decent a decent buzz going on by the end. Excellent. Yeah. Please send your spooky recommendations, everyone. We're in the season of spooky. We so are deep in it. Yeah. Very on theme. Thank you, Brian. Um, before we get to recommendations, though, you know how I always say, like, we can still sprinkle a little bit of politics into an episode, particularly if we are celebrating bad things happening yes. to bad people. Yeah. Read my mind. Delighting in the downfall of our political enemies. Let's talk about Alex Jones. Oh, God. That was one of the most satisfying, uh, like, breaking news alerts I've ever seen. So just to sum up, a jury in Connecticut uh, decided that he must pay families of children killed at Sandy Hook and uh, others, including an FBI agent who responded to the Sandy Hook shooting, Almost one billion dollars in damages. Billion with a B. That is so much money. And I've seen people already like sort of raining on our parade saying, like, 
he'll never pay that, blah, blah, blah. We know. We know Alex Jones is not worth almost a billion dollars. And we know that point, he'll get it decreased, that it'll probably get yes. decreased on appeals. Way but down, yes. yeah. This is but the not- point is, this is going to drain him forever. Like yes. whatever he does end up making, he's going to have to pay a lot. And he he's already talking a lot of shit where he's like, they're not going to get any money from me. Awesome. I want the live feed of the sheriff kicking in Alex Jones's door. Like, I want, yeah, like I want the the scene from the first episode of Shit's Creek where they start like carting things out <laughs> of the house. Like I want that on a live feed. Just yep. like everybody, we just catalog every last object coming out yeah. of his like possession. Yeah. And it's like he's learned <laughs> like, Rosie, Rosie <laughs> Lord. Also <laughs> believe that. Oh my God. <laughs> I feel like anytime we talk about Alex Jones, Rosie pipes up, which well, he's either a huge supporter uh, and consumer, like secret consumer of his um, supplements, <laughs> or she just really wants to like bite his ankles. I get it. Either way, I get it. Uh, yeah. It's like he's learned nothing because it's like, dude, you got into this trouble in the first place because you were mouthing off on your podcast and. Mm-hmm saying all of these terrible conspiracy theories about it being a a false flag operation, Sandy Hook, the Sandy Hook massacre, and claiming like these kids weren't actually killed, like awful, awful, awful shit. And now you're back on your stupid podcast being like, they're not going to get any money. Like, my dude, they can hear everything you're saying. Like, this dude is just like, I think at the end of all of these right wingers lives, all of their brains become liquid. But like, I'm, I'm like, is he stupid? Is he stupid? Uh, I mean, I have no idea. And I, you know, while we're still on this topic, I just want to briefly mention something that I've seen come up a couple of times and I've seen debunked, but I also just think is worth talking about because it kind of got obscured underneath all of the, you know, the sheer magnitude of the number. Like this case is not in the slightest about free speech and it has zero outside implications for other media members, like to start with. America has some of the most liberal free press uh, and libel laws in the world. So they're most protective of members of the media. Um, And Alex Jones is, is like ordered to pay this much money because he literally, like he and his lawyers literally did not even bother to mount a defense. Well, not only this. And And so that's why they got, but they got like the default judgment happens because they, didn't do what they were supposed to do in the legal <laughs> process. What like, right. through laziness, the fact that they knew they were going to lose and it was going to make them look worse, whatever they lost. All of this was simply the penalty phase. Mm-hmm. And he was like saying that an FBI agent was in on this and was like part of the process. Like, so this was about slandering people and which is like a doctrine that exists in the United States. and is well established so there's like and no endangering them happening. and endangering yeah. them too, because we saw with Pizzagate, these fucking insane people who listen to Alex Jones or any right winger will show up with guns. So it's like you're also endangering these people who, by the way, are the victims of the worst thing imaginable. Right. That could happen to a parent. And now you're putting a target on them. So it's like you are evil, evil. Um yeah. And I know, you know, you can't be convicted of being evil, but it feels like Alex Jones was convicted of being evil. And that feels good for me. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know, I know like we have, you know, people are, we have smart listeners and a lot of people have already said these things, 
But I just always like, uh, there's always a chance that our listeners will run into someone who's like very concerned about the free speech implications of this. Um, so consider this your like easy primer on a way to tell someone who tries to put that argument forward that it's actually not something they need to worry about. And it's okay to be glad that a terrible, 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 terrible red man is going to be ruined. Exactly. Um, so I guess let me just get into recommendations because I'm not going to spend too much time on bones and all because, you know, obviously no one's been able to see it. Um, and Meredith hasn't seen it either. So I'm not going to give anything away or talk about plot or anything like that. I'm going to give very general praise right now. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, you know, Luca in my mind, like, I even like his stuff that other people are not a fan of. So like I was primed, you know, like I was definitely like the key audience they were going for like elevated horror. Yes, please. But I just wanted to shout out some of the performances. Taylor Russell, if you've ever seen waves, she's an amazing actress. I'm really hoping like she'll blow up after this. Um, she's wonderful in it. Of course, Timothy Chalamet is in it. He's wonderful. Mark Rylance and Michael Stuhlberg give two of the craziest performances like I really wanted to be in the room when Luca was like either giving them notes for a performance or maybe not giving them notes and just let them do whatever but Mark Rylance is so fucking off the walls in this movie and I thoroughly enjoyed it and uh, Chloe Sevigny who's like not in it very long but leaves a very big impression I'll just say that and yeah it's a if you're into like Bonnie and Clyde type stories and with a with a tinge of cannibalistic horror and I will say like I had heard from some reviewers that it is graphic and um you may not want to like say eat during it I tend to have a very high threshold for that type of stuff so I was like whatever you're all a bunch of babies blah 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 there are a couple moments where I was like, damn, damn Luca. So yeah, I, I will say it's like a little intense, um, but that isn't a reason you shouldn't see it. I don't think, I don't think. Well, that's so, good to know. Yeah. Uh, you'll be fine, Meredith. Th- this was not a, in any way, a warning for you. Like Charles was totally fine. You will be totally fine. I'm, I mean, normal people. <laughs> okay. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so did you get a chance to see smile? I forget. Yes. I saw it before you did. You saw it before me, right? Yeah. Um, Let's talk about, about this. Smile. Yeah. I, I kind of want to anti-wreck it. I feel like a lot of people have seen it. Um, I did not enjoy it. I thought it wasn't scary, except for the very first bit scene, which is in the trailer. Um, I kind of felt like I knew where all of the beats were going. Um what people talk about, you know, in the like, oh, well, you know, we finally have like a big budget studio horror that's like taking what we learned from A24 and doing like, it's about trauma. And I thought, uh, <laughs> I just really was not compelled by it and didn't find it interesting. I will say, I think the director has a lot of talent and has the capacity to make a movie that will be really good. And the lead performer, Sosie Bacon, yes, she's a Nepo baby, but she's very good. One of the good Nepo babies, yeah. And the yeah. writer-director is Parker Finn. Um, I don't know. I can't, I don't know if I can even say I'm excited to see them direct again because I feel like I didn't get to see them direct this time just because, <laughs> like, 
Sorry, that was so mean. But like, it, I found it incredibly derivative, like to the point where I, you know, I kind of jokingly said this, but I was like, just go watch It Follows because there are some actual just straight up, yeah. straight up, just ripped it from It Follows. And I was like, to me, there's a difference between an homage and like plagiarism. And this really crossed the line a few times. And people were like, yeah, but I like it follows. So when I like this and I'm like, no, cause you're actually just going to see like a weaker version of it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, Sosie Bacon, clearly talented, uh, you know, one of the Nepo babies we, we stand, I would like to see her in other stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was very boring, not scary. I found myself like nodding off a few times, which almost never happens to me in a movie. Uh, so I think that's not a great sign. And, oh, you know who else I wanted to shout out? And I'm spacing on his name. Um, A-Train. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Usher. Jesse T. Usher. Yeah. He, he's great too. I always like when he pops up and stuff. I, you know, what I found myself thinking, um, and I, you know, I went with, uh, one of the boyfriends and so we were talking about it on the way One of the boyfriends. Hey, I love look, you. I, <laughs> uh, we we were talking and we decided that the movie, like in terms of the monster, the the bad, like the creature, whatever, it either needed to be less explained so that there was more ambiguity about maybe she is just going crazy or they needed to explain it a lot more. Yeah. yeah. They, they really landed. I think the filmmaker, like the writer director clearly wanted it to live in a space that was somewhat ambiguous. And it ended up falling into like an abyss instead. Like it didn't actually like end up feeling satisfying in any way, which was really frustrating. Um, but I also found myself thinking, okay, this is a movie where this woman is like struggling to keep it together. She's brittle. She has this like trauma she's not dealing with. But I also felt like this woman is so clearly unwell. There is no way she would be allowed to see patients there's no way she would still be engaged to this man. Yeah. There's no way she would have a relationship with her sister. Like this person, like all of the people who are like, something is wrong, like are correct. So there was, it, I wasn't convinced in the slightest by the like, oh no, the heroine is seeing this and no one believes her, but they hmm. should. I was like, well, maybe they should believe her, but that bitch has problems anyway. Yeah. And totally. so it felt really rough because I didn't buy, I didn't sympathize with her in the idea that she was like, Oh no, I'm being gaslit. Like it didn't work mm. for me. Yeah. I know what you mean. Like there were a couple moments, um, by the way, because it's so derivative, all of the shocking moments weren't shocking. <laughs> like, One of them was so fucking funny. Like if you want to see it on very funny scene, wait until this gets clipped a little bit on like the clips show up on YouTube Yeah, and, uh, and look for the birthday party. The birthday party. Yes. Uh, it's supposed to be a big reveal moment. And I knew 15 minutes before that scene, what was going to happen. Um, so, so that really, uh, sucked the <laughs> adrenaline out of the scene, I think, but yeah. I'm just like very over trauma being the monster. And, I just feel like that's so jump the shark because like it just feels like everything is that now. And I, I understand that like we use art to process trauma and we'll never fully like 
get away from that. And nor do I think we should. Like, I, I am happy for people that they can use art to work through feelings and stuff like that. It's just a little eye rolly in horror now when when that's the thing, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and one thing that's really surprised me, and we don't need to spend too much time on this because we didn't like it, is there have been a lot of really positive reactions to this movie. And it's making a ton of money. Um, so t- people are seeing it. And I've it's been a while since I feel like my taste has been so utterly disconnected from other horror fans. Agreed. That's weird, right? And people are also shocked. People are also shocked that I didn't like it. Yeah, same. And I'm like, but it just doesn't work for me. And I I guess like trying to explain to people why I enjoyed, I was like, well, but now I just wish that I could see Barbarian again for the first time. They're like, yeah. well, that one's really stupid. And I was like, yeah, it's stupid, but it's fun. It's right. fun and it's bonkers and it pushes, you know, it wants to break these rules. And it just, there was something so rote about the way that Smile kind of unfolded. Yeah. And I don't know if maybe it's just that we like made a point of seeing every single horror movie about <laughs> trauma from yeah. any of these studios, like as they come out. Uh, but I'm just like ready for something new. I, I'm ready for the sea change. That's true. And also like I could easily see if you're not a horror fan and this isn't usually your bag and you go with like a group of friends, I bet you'll have a really good time. It just like it makes me a little sad because you don't know what it's borrowing from in that case. And you could be seeing much better films. Right. Um, Um, But that's also like the curse of us being like sick human beings who watch everything. That we're we're we have a disease. Yeah. Um, so speaking of a disease, should we talk about Pearl? Yeah. And also, I just realized, did you ever talk about Don't Worry, Darling on the show? No, because okay. I saw Don't Worry, Darling in Portland. I went with a friend, this beautiful uh, old timey movie palace called the Baghdad. Um, so, of course, it has a lot of very questionable kind of racist, like Middle Eastern, yeah. you know, Arabian Nights kind of stuff in it. But it's still gorgeous. And my friend and I went because, of course, we were, we finally decided, well, why not? And we walked out and looked at each other and just said, wait, what the (laughs) fuck? That's so much dumber. Like, this is even worse than I, like, even knowing the twist, that was worse than I expected. Yeah. And we just, like, spent a while walking through the streets of Southeast Portland, just kind of wondering why they made so like why they made these choices and trying to figure out why on earth anyone thought this was a good idea. Um, It was just utterly misconceived. And, you know, I do have some serious questions though. um, And I want somebody to really start doing this. I hope there's an academic paper coming soon, like legal questions within horror films. So like she kills, like people get killed inside the simulation so how do you charge someone like can you charge someone with murder for a death that happens in the real world if they're only murdered in the simulation and then that causes their death it's very much like how do you deal with um like how how do you deal with the the legal questions raised by malignant like when she's her body's been taken over by her parasitic (laughs) twin like or like uh, an inception when right. you end up in limbo and then you're in a coma forever. It's like, should that be a, should they have charged Leonardo DiCaprio? 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. What's happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was I was much more interested in like that than I was in anything that happened in the movie. Yeah, no, that would actually be interesting. Um, I won't repeat everything I said on the show because obviously like I think Eric co-hosted with me and I just ranted at him at length about a film that he had not seen. Um, and he was a champ about it. But I what's annoying me about it now is the press continues about Don't Worry Darling, even though, you know, this fucking movie came out. And now Olivia Wilde is like, man, I really wish the uh, emphasis in the press hadn't been so much on the sex. And it's like, you that started you that. Did. Yeah. You started that. She was like at the forefront and she was like, this movie's so hot. Their chemistry is amazing. And then everybody saw it and they were like, what? <laughs> it was like, not so much. You know where the best chemistry was in the entire movie? When Chris Pine is watching them fucking and she catches yes. him watching. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I know. I thought that was going to be more of a thing where I'm like, oh, is he going to try to like third wheel this? And then like nothing. But I was like, that would have been interesting at least. Look, uh, like a weird simulation that was also his personal harem slash sex cult, a movie I would watch. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. By the way, he cut his hair and he looks amazing. Everybody's yeah. like, I missed the long hair. I'm like, I do not. He looks so much hotter now. Yeah, um, I mean, he's but he will always be hot, but I don't need him to look like, uh, I don't need him to be giving us Unabomber all the time. <laughs> exactly. Love it. Love it when he does it. But, you know, change it up. Uh, okay. So Pearl. I loved Pearl. I recommended it on the show, but I didn't get to talk about it because you had not seen it at the time. Meredith, thoughts on Pearl? I am so happy that this movie exists. There was something uh, like I... I can't believe that more people haven't kind of taken this approach when it comes to making films, like to making horror movies, because it's a Douglas Sirk melodrama. It felt like I I was, I thought about it later and I was like, okay, so it's like Ty West pulled a Todd Haynes, but instead of making all that haven't allowed, uh, far from heaven or Carol, they mm -hmm. made, he made like oh, a slasher film. Right. And I adored that choice. I thought that it was a really fantastic juxtaposition. Um, and I keep trying to come up. I keep struggling to find the right word because it's like the bright colors make the yes. violence, the, like the technicolor element of it, the fairy tale-ness, the painted sets, the, um, you know, the, the old timey stuff that they do really makes the like it curdles the sincerity mm -hmm. in a way that was really powerful for me and yeah. it made like and I think like and everything is anchored by this incredible performance by Mia Goth who's amazing an absolute genius um co-wrote the screenplay like just such a hair trigger powerful performance that um where you like feel every ounce of her desperation and sadness Oof. and oh God, like it's really heartbreaking. It is. That's what, that is what I love. Is. Like, because yeah. like the monster in this movie is like her broken dreams. Kind yeah. Of? It's like, like this is, the monster is disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> and you see it like that audition scene, man, <sighs> like it's, it's long. It doesn't feel long, but like, Every step of that was so painful as someone who has auditioned and been on a lot of auditions <laughs> and like knows a lot of actors and has seen what they go through. Like 
oh man, it just really, really breaks your heart. And like Mia, I was wondering like if it actually was helpful for Mia to shoot back to back to back. Cause like she really got to live with this character and see the grand arc of her life, you know? So like in a weird way, like I know it was kind of like horror boot camp for them shooting everything. Um, but I wonder if that was like helpful for her to keep track of everything. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious about that too, especially since it seemed like because she had input into the screenplay, clearly she was thinking about these motivations and then turning that into the story. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, was fascinating in itself. I just thought it was such a cool idea to take this perfectly functional, like, cause X is a good movie, but it wasn't yeah. a great movie. Right. Pearl, like, retroactively makes it better and is on its own a great film you know who Um, agrees with us martin Martin scorsese Scorsese loved it he loved it which like listen i you know whenever anybody he says anything it's like a clickbait headline but i don't know that made me like him a little more because i was like just the idea of martin scorsese watching pearl i'm like that's awesome well the and then that- saying that it kept him up at night because yes. he like it disturbed <laughs> him so much i was yeah. like uh but i also get it because his whole thing is in addition to being a world famous like legendary filmmaker is an obsessive about old movies in the golden age of hollywood so yeah. he was watching they you know he's watching a homage to things that he has spent his whole life and a ton of his fortune trying to preserve, but twisted and warped into Mm. something completely new. And I can see, like, it makes perfect sense to me why he loved it. Um, But it was, I thought it was very cool. Cause I'm like, Oh man, like suddenly we're getting, we're going to have like a Ty West Renaissance. That's pretty cool. I would just be very curious to know, like how Martin Scorsese came about it. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) Did he like talk to Ty West? Like, did Ty West, like, I don't know. I'm just like, what was the connection? Like, how did that happen? I'm just very curious. I, in my mind, uh, Thelma Schoonmacher, his longtime editor, was uh-huh. the person who recommended it to him. Oh, that because, would make sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, with her famous quote is like, everyone always asks me, why do you, uh, why do you always work on editing such these like horribly violent movies? And she says, but they're not violent until I get my hands on them. <laughs> Yeah, facts. Uh, so, like, in my mind, she's the kind of twisted old soul that would be like, this guy's real cool. You should see what he's doing. <laughs> right. Yeah, I would totally buy that. Um, editors are cool people. Um, so I also wanted to shout out some of the other cast members. I thought Emma Jenkins Perot, she plays Mitzi, her friend, uh, her sister-in-law, actually. Um, she was great. And then David Cornsweat is one of the hottest oh. men I've ever seen on film. I was like, I, this man, what the fuck? That was, well, that was another thing that I really loved. Everything is shot so beautifully. So it felt like I was watching an old movie, like an old movie in color where I was like, oh, these people look like old timey movie stars. Yeah. And he has like with his mustache, the whole thing is just, he did have a mustache, right? Did he? I have no idea. I oh feel my like God. in my head, I imagined he had a mustache. <laughs> Hold on. I got to Google this because that was an insane thing to say if it's not true. I, why in my head does he? Oh, yeah. You know, it's like a faint mustache. Right. It's like an Errol Flynn mustache. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Thank you. I was um, picturing like a broom handle mustache. I was like, <laughs> Meredith. 
It was no. 1918. This is not how that went. <laughs> I mean, I thought that was, I also thought their scenes were incredibly sexy. Like so there was hot. So, yeah. so much that really did it. But then the way that she turns on a dime, like, and suddenly is like, oh, you're going to take me to Europe. And I was like, oh, 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 So no. scary. Yeah. yeah. The fact that she can go from this like little girl, naive innocence to when he's like, you're scaring me. I'm like, yeah, dude, you got to get the fuck out of there because she yeah. just snapped. Um, I like the tie in, too, of him being a projectionist and like showing her the pornography, you know, like to to X. I was like, OK, I see you through line. Yeah. Yeah. Which it was it was a nice thing and also completely believable. Like I, totally, would, yeah. you know, get that. Um, yeah, one of the hottest people. I hope he does like things where he has to be hot professionally um, often yeah. for a long time. Lord, uh, I do yeah. wonder if he's one of those guys though, where it's like, are you just hotter? Like sort of like John Hamm. When John Hamm was in Mad Men, he was hotter. Um, yeah, that's true. It was like just you with that haircut in those clothes. You look like you're of that time. There's something that makes you hotter, and I wonder if he'll be as hot if he's in modern. <laughs> Yeah. Although maybe he's like Dan Stevens. And so True, he yeah. is in the, like he can do period. And then the next thing you know, he's like, boom, he's the hottest, most interesting actor alive. I hope so. Uh, yeah, he was great. And I really can't say enough about Mia Goth. Like that is such a difficult character to humanize. And the way they approached it could have been like so grating and like, annoying like imagine if they had gotten that wrong and then you have to spend the whole film with that character <laughs> no what it uh what her character reminds me of most is sissy spacex performance in carrie yes very that very that, uh, yeah. where there's an element of like forces beyond her control uh a core innocence and fear and disappointment um but also like an uncontrollable rage um and that's really really hard to pull off um, and it makes me happy that Ty West made a movie that like has very De Palma elements, even though it's like set in 1918. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, anything else you wanted to say about it? Uh, no, I just think like, uh, oh, well, this is side note. Uh, I saw it in a theater with one of the boyfriends and then there were four other women in this theater. It was all the way at the end of this massive like 15 15- Green plus IMAX cinema plex. There were five people working and it was almost, com- it was completely fucking empty mm. and it was uh, sleeting. So it was terrifying. And I was a little bit concerned that I was about to be murdered. Yeah. So uh, that was really freaky. And also, it turns out that theater last week had been closed down because of a rodent problem. So scary, scary for uh, a different reason. Don't eat yeah. that food at that theater. Oh, nope. I totally ate popcorn. Uh, oh. Although I've eaten popcorn from the Park Slope Pavilion when it still existed before it became an Alamo. Uh, so uh, I'm basically immune to all rat problems. I can't talk shit because there was a restaurant across. <laughs> Across the road from the old UCB theater that we would like stumble into after shows. And there was a big popcorn machine that we would all like what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to take a cup and scoop out popcorn for you to eat. And then one night we were there and there was a hammered guy standing next to it. Just eating out of it? Just taking fistfuls of 
popcorn straight from their scene. And we were like, we've all eaten that popcorn and people have fully touched it. And this was pre COVID, but like now flashing back to it, I'm like, Oh my God. (laughs) I mean, I've eaten like the free hot dogs. I've eaten the free pizza. At some point you just realize that knowing there's a problem does not like shouldn't stop you. And it was the only theater that Pearl was playing. So I was like, well, I I need to see it. I'm not missing this. So this is how it goes. You're a pro. You're a pro. Um, You just reminded me uh, when I was watching Pearl, there was a scene where David Cornsweet had a, a close up, and the woman, there was a woman behind me who very quietly went, oh my God. (laughs) He's so hot. She had to say, oh my God, out loud. And I was like, I know. Right. Right. Oh yeah. Consensus. Ah. Um, so I just remembered, I also saw, and I won't say, uh, too much about my ne- next two recommendations. Cause, uh, I know Meredith hasn't seen either of them. Um, the new Hellraiser is great. Highly recommend. Um, and I wanted to shout out. So pinhead is a lady this time. And not in like a cringy, eye-rolly way. It's like not even addressed in the film. It's just kind of a cool thing. She has like a different outfit. And I was like, okay, I see you, Lady Pinhead. And then uh, Odessa Azion is the the main character, Riley. And she's great. Um, again, like if you cast that wrong, we now have to watch this woman for two hours be obnoxious. And uh, she's wonderful. So highly recommend that. Even if you didn't, you weren't a huge fan of the <laughs> original like me. I was not a huge fan of of uh, Hellraiser. How can you not be a, a huge fan of the original Hellraiser? It's so awesome. I was uh, I was bored, honestly. And it's because I don't like body horror. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. Not that it like creeps me out or I can't watch it. I'm just not interested. It, like it doesn't um inspire an emotion inside me. <laughs> Is that terrible? <laughs> um I like I don't I don't find it scary. I'm just like, okay. Okay. I think, yeah. I mean, I didn't love it. I didn't love it because of this, like the idea that it was scary. I love it because of the practical effects. Yeah. The makeup of the Cenobites and just the fact that Clive Barker made the Cenobites. Like, oh, yeah, no, they like- are my existence. So every cool person that I met between the, when I was between the ages of like 10 and like 17, um, was a huge fan of Hellraiser, which, and like very much for the weird SM and like the super goth stuff. And I know that probably says something about me um, in general, but also <laughs> it, it primed me because I was like, I didn't watch it until I was like 22 because I yeah. thought I was going to be afraid. But when I watched it, I was like, oh, this movie isn't scary, no, but it no. absolutely rules. <laughs> and I like, I love seeing the practical effects like um hellraiser is referenced a bunch in a lot of like horror countdowns and top 10 lists and stuff like that and they have some of like the behind the scenes stuff where it's like here's how we made this and this look all of that shit i think is fascinating and from like a technical level i respect the practical effects when i watch the film i'm not connected that's that's fair i'll let you get away with it with that <laughs> i mean i I'm excited to watch the new Hellraiser. I'm also excited that there are people, there are idiots who are very upset that it is not a, like Pinhead is no longer a man. I know. Um, and I, I, you know, once again, I just want to be like, my man. Did you understand 
what the Cenobites were about? <laughs> no. I'll tell you right now, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't think you really got what they were up to. So maybe you shouldn't be. Okay, fine. You are clearly not invited to the weird hell S&M orgy. Yeah. And that's fine because yeah, you're, you're not cool enough. Honest. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I actually have a, a couple more, but one is horror related. So I wanted to squeeze it in. Um, Werewolf by Night is Marvel's first one off and also their first like horror one one off. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And it's very short. It's it's one thing, guys. You just have to watch one thing. And it's not very long. I think it's like 100 minutes. And it is really, they really swung for the fences. They fully committed. It is a, a full Bella Lugosi, Chris Lee, black and white, <laughs> like horror uh, short film. Uh, Gael Garcia Bernal is the, the lead actor and Laura Donnelly. And they do a great job. They use a lot of practical effects, which I really, really appreciated, including when Gael is transforming. And it really just fucking endeared me to Marvel horror. I was like, I hope you guys keep doing this because it's they're so clearly fans of the genre that and it was done with a lot of love that it was just lovely to watch. Oh, well, that's interesting. I will not be watching it, but still. Yeah. Cool. I'm glad. Uh, although I kind of think you should, but like I don't I won't push it because I know Marvel is whatever. But I'm like, if you're gonna watch a Marvel thing and you're a fan of old horror, it's kind of awesome. So I'll just like put it out there. If you run out of stuff to watch, maybe put it on. Mm -hmm. Um and then finally, and again, I won't get into it too much because spoilers and stuff, but I just know it's gonna be like talked about a lot. Tar, I saw Tar at the Angelica. And with uh, a lot of people who were like, you know, um, referenced and uh, sort of parodied in Tar, like that world. <laughs> um, and it was great. I, I think Kate Blanchett will probably win the Oscar. She'll certainly be nominated, but it's a lot. I have a lot of feelings about it. And I like don't know if I can go into them that much until you've seen it. But um yeah, it, it's complicated, but ultimately I think it was effective. And it I will say it's very long. It's almost three hours, so just be braced. Um, and she's just mesmerizing. She's so good. Um, and if she won, I wouldn't be mad, is what I'm saying. Well, that's good to know. I do plan on seeing it. It doesn't come out for a while here. Thank you, Midwest, for being I know. the world's most ridiculous backwater. <laughs> um, come on, guys. We can get movies here before... November. I was gonna say you're not even like in rural, rural Midwest. You're in Madison. <laughs> I know. We're like I'm in art house town, but yeah. we don't have an art house cinema anymore. So mm. whatever. Yeah. Uh yeah, this is quite the frustration. Um I'm trying to think if I have any major recommendations. Uh if you don't, I'm just I like I do have other stuff, but I also wanted to talk about bros a little bit. Uh, yes, we can do that. Oh, I want to, I'm not finished with this book yet, but if you are interested in a creepy book because spooky season and also our brains don't work right. So we talk, we do a lot of horror things. Uh, the remaking, uh, mm. is a fantastic novel and has some really, really unsettling descriptions of like, so it's like haunted videotapes. 
like a piece of art gets remade over and over and over again. So it's like remix culture plus like haunting. Oh, cool. I got to read more spooky shit. You inspire me to do that because when I read, although I guess I just, I read an entire compilation of HP Lovecraft. So that was Mm -hmm. spooky stuff. Very enjoyable. He was a deeply racist man. Um, But, you know, some good stories in there. Um, But you really inspire me to read more creepy shit. Yeah. Uh, The author is Clay McLeod Chapman. Uh, It is, I, I just think, yeah, do it up like sometimes books are really really fun to be creeped out by because it's like it makes my dreams weird but not necessarily scary and uh also there's just something so great about closing a book and realizing all the things that were terrifying me are like inside the book oh that's a really good point yeah Um, i like that there's something i don't know why that that works for me so well but i really enjoyed it did I talk about all the white spaces as well? I don't remember. Go off. Uh, it's a book. It's like an Antarctic exploration disaster fiction. Oh, I, you novel. Like, might novel. have. Yeah, you might um, have. I did finally finish it. The protagonist is a trans boy. Um, so it's about exploration, ghosts, World War One. It's an alternate universe in which things like the Shackleton expedition didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um it builds really, really well. If you like, I know that not like Antarctic disaster or like Arctic disaster stories aren't for everyone, but if you're the kind of person who was curious about the terror or, um, you know, thinks that those can be kind of fun, like it's really, that one was just a really good time. I I thought it was just beautifully written and had some really powerful, um, it was just really well done. Hell yeah. Love it. Everybody check that out. Um, so, so now, yeah, go for it. Yeah. Okay. So what I don't want this to be, obviously, is it, I know it's incredibly hard to make anything, right? <laughs> Let alone a film. And Billy Eichner was out there every day really promoting this film, working very hard, tirelessly. And a lot of people were involved in this film. It's not just him. And everybody gave 100% and it sucks that it tanked at the box office. And what I definitely don't want to do is in any way be like, because <laughs> there's a lot of people out there who don't like Billy and they're using this as an opportunity to shit on him in the movie. And it's like, okay, you cannot like him, but there were a lot of people involved in this and it sucks that it didn't do well because it's getting great reviews and by all accounts is a good film. I have not seen it yet. And that's part of what why I wanted to talk about it because Billy got a little bit of backlash. Because, you know, he blamed the straights for not going to see the film. And I fully believe him when he says, you know, it it might partly be because of homophobia. I, I know that, you know, we live in our bubbles, our, our coastal uh, bubbles. Well, you don't, Meredith. But you're still kind of in a bubble in Madison. Oh, I'm in a bubble, for sure. You know, I, I know there's still a lot of homophobia out there in addition to a lot of other <laughs> terrible uh, feelings. Um So I know that is real, but the reason I wanted to talk about it is I just kept thinking about like, why did bros tank? And I don't think it's one thing. I think it's a a host of reasons, but and certainly homophobia might be one of them. When I was hearing Billy talk about why he insisted and he did insist that bros had to be uh, uh, released in the theaters and not streaming originally. It might eventually go to streaming, but 
right? Like when it first came out, part of the stipulation was it must be released in theaters. And I heard him on a podcast talking about why he wanted to do that. And he had a beautiful reason where he's like, I love when people get together and laugh together and it's a really communal event. Like when I was growing up, important detail there, and I would go to see romantic comedies, that was part of the appeal. I understand that. But in 2022, that's no longer the culture. The culture has dramatically changed. Very few people will go to a theater to watch a romantic comedy, period. Period. If this was about a straight couple, it would be hard to get butts and seats for that. Um, And I just so wish, and this might have happened. This might have happened in the room when Billy was talking about this. Someone had said, let's do a simultaneous release on streaming. Because I would have watched that in a heartbeat if it was on streaming. That's what I do with, again, I'm sorry to compare the two gay movies, but Fire Island, I would not have gone to a theater, I'm sorry, to see Fire Island just because that's not, like romantic comedies are not my bag. And I'll watch them when I'm at home because it's like zero effort. I'm not going to get on the subway for a fucking hour to go see a romantic comedy. And a lot of people feel that way. Like a lot of people won't go to the movies these days until it's a big event. Like, and I'm, it's a Marvel film, right? Like a lot of people will come out to see that. Is it good that that's our reality? No, it fucking sucks. But Billy releasing bros in theaters was not going to change that. Right. You know? And, and I feel like, and I, I think this is true. I have paid money to see romantic comedies uh, or comedies on streaming, you know, like if they had had a simultaneous release with a uh, price tag that was less than the cost of a nighttime movie ticket, like 10 bucks, say, I probably would have paid it like specifically because I wanted to support it, but I'm yeah. sorry. Like I don't go see happy movies in the theater. <laughs> no. And like, honestly, what it is is, And I feel like this is the case for a lot of people. We just don't go to the movies as much as we used to. So when we go, like, obviously, we're exceptions because we do this partly for work. So, like, we'll go see horror movies because that's what we talk about primarily, right? But, like, the typical American, who whatever that means, right? But, like, you're working, you have kids. You don't go to the movies that much. When you go to the movies, you want to see something that's going to be, like, spectacular like a lot of bang for your buck you know yeah so you'll go see top gun right, right. like everybody Which wants- i saw and it was yeah. fun planes go room right. shirtless football exactly what you thought it would be yeah yeah um like but that's guaranteed right like if we're gonna pay a lot for movie tickets and even more for concessions and this is we very rarely go to the movies what are we gonna get our most the most bang for our buck with top gun and you know, Bros, Bros was always going to be a very niche movie. Like, not even that many. I mean, Billy is famous, but like, if you poll random people, like, not everybody knows who Billy Eichner is, and he's the lead of the film. You know, mm-hmm. um, so outside of New York City and L.A., you were already in an uphill battle, and then you insisted it would be theaters only. And then, I don't know. I just. I understand what he was hoping they would get, but it's really, and he's not alone in this. There's a lot of people who keep trying to reclaim something that no longer exists. And I know it hurts to say that. And I know we all remember our childhoods where we were in a crowded theater seeing, you know, 
some obscure filmmakers film and like everybody was having a great time. Um, but we're not going to go back to that. So and we can't help it. Like, we, it's, yeah, you know, this is just not how things work anymore. And I want to see people succeed. I want to see people who are talented and who worked very hard succeed. And like I said, bros is getting great reviews. You should go see bros. Let me say that. Um, everybody should go see it because by all accounts, all the reviews I've read, it is a good film. So we should support it. I just wish he had set himself up for success. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. And I think there's, there's just, when has there been an example of a movie that was like a comedy or a romantic comedy that was successful when it had that level, like that huge level of a push? Like, I feel as if the big successes have all been, I don't want to necessarily say huge surprises, but they've been, they've built by word of mouth. They've, you know, hit on something in the moment. Well, rather than because he made this with Apatow, right? So when Billy was talking about his models for success, he's referencing movies that came out a fucking decade ago, like Bridesmaids. Right. And come on, like, that's just not, that's not where We're the not culture is back. anymore. We're not no. going back to that. Like Bridesmaids was a phenomenon, but it was a decade ago. Like the, the market, like everything has changed so dramatically since then. There was no way this was ever going to be Bridesmaids. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, God, I had something that I wanted to talk about and now I can't remember what it was. Um, <laughs> I don't know if like, I haven't been talking about it because it's a week to week thing, but I like, I feel conspicuous at this point, not talking about it, especially after this last episode. Um, but house of the dragon is fucking good guys. I don't know if you've <laughs> heard about this little show, uh, house of the dragon, but Patty Constantine, man. This Constantine, last episode, my friend. Constantine, Constantine, Constantine. Sorry, sorry. Um, man, he he grabbed his Emmy in the last episode. Spectacular. And Matt Smith, their relationship, they play brothers on the show, and everything that they've been building towards came to a head in this last episode, and it was just thrilling to watch. Really felt like old school Game of Thrones, and I was just fully crying on my couch. So oh, well God. done. Well done, everyone. I will never, ever, ever forgive you for being such a diehard Matt Smith fan. You are wrong. He is not attractive. He's so high. I, I texted so Allison high. the other day. If you could avert nuclear, ho- like a nuclear holocaust mm-hmm. by uh, disavowing your mm-hmm. love of Matt Smith, would mm-hmm. you do it? And mm-hmm. you said, absolutely not. We're all going to die anyway. Yep. That's what I said. I will not abandon him. I will not. <laughs> I will not, Matt. You're hot. You're hot. And oh, oh, the character he plays is very hot, too. You shouldn't like him. He's a bad man. But that makes him hotter. Um, Man. Oh, you are anyway. just. I don't. I don't understand. I truly do not That's okay. understand. That's OK. I don't need your approval. Matt and I don't need your approval. OK. Oh, well, as, as long as you know that I do not approve and I will never <laughs> approve. And I hope that someday you come to terms with what you've done. I put, a, uh, I put a poll on my Instagram and I think I put it up on light trees and light trees and news's Instagram as well. Um, where I was like, is Matt Smith hot? Yes or no. The only, the only two people who voted yes were me and Charles. Oh, you people are sick. sick. And I, I was messaging him and I'm like, are we crazy? And he's like, no, the world's crazy. Um, 
yeah, your no, own we were- personal uh, Walter Skinner moment right there. I, you know what it is though, like, and I will concede this. When I say he's hot, do I think his face looks like Stonehenge? Yes, absolutely. Like, I'm not disputing that. It's his swagger and personality that makes him so hot. And he always plays characters that are like really funny, but like in a very dry way. And that for me is like, oh my God, you're the hottest person ever. So I I do concede that like, if I just saw him, I wouldn't be like, that man's hot, you know? Fine. I guess I'll let you have it. I just don't, I just don't think that you deserve joy with this particular situation. Well, guess what? I get a lot of joy out of it. So I think you part of this, part of this is because you just love to torment me. I do. That is also part of it, which is why Matt and I would make such a great couple. Um, Oh, just you would just troll me by making out in front of me. Yeah, she hates this. She thinks you're real ugly. Yeah. I mean, gossip does tell does say that he is a terrible womanizing uh, piece of shit. I've heard he's a bad man, which guess what? Makes him hotter. Oh, oh, um, I do want to talk just very briefly about the Midnight Club, not because it's necessarily all that good, but like good job, Mike Flanagan, making another making another series also for bringing in uh, Christopher Pike to, you know, like really, truly just up the nostalgia for people who are, uh, you know, in their early 40s or approaching 40. Uh, not I don't even want to talk about the show itself. It's it's fine. It's it's a good adaptation of Christopher Pike. It hits the like if you were, a tw- you know, it feels very pitched at uh, the level of like teens and tweens for that drama. I like the new casting. I like the way they adapt other books within the story. Uh, But what I really love is that because it's set in 1994, the music is aggressively 1994. Oh, good. Yeah. And so like think Bush Glycerin. So what I liked so much about that needle drop, and I told you this already, Meredith, it's uh, in a drug scene. Yeah. And usually the go-tos are like overly mainstream and generic for that. They'll usually go with Nirvana, right? For a needle drop. And they went with Bush and I was like, Okay. All right. Yeah. Like a little more obscure. I liked it. Yeah. Well, there was also an element for me where I was like, oh, God. Remember when it was like people who did heroin were hot and they weren't like <laughs> train <gross> spotting? Lo- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they weren't like gross losers. But it was like, oh, yeah. Well, like Scott Weiland has problems, but he's like <laughs> so good looking. I love it when he of, has yeah. problems. Yeah. 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 Totally. Um, oh, also, I discovered something terrifyingly sad on Instagram. Juliet Lewis posted something that was kind of anti-vax. Uh, and, uh, you know, guys. What? Speaking of heroin oh, hot. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I we all know how I got directly there. <laughs> oh, yeah, Absolutely. I still follow her. Yeah. I, I've seen some posts where I'm like, OK, um, so I'm on the fence a little bit. But going back to Midnight Club. Um, I was texting Meredith the other day. I was on like episode five and I was just like struggling a little bit. And I think you told me to watch, get through episode six. Yeah, I was like episode seven gets really good. So six and seven, I really liked. I So I'm going to finish it. I think I have like one more episode. My only thing with Mike Flanagan, uh, I really respect him. And I, I really respect how like, you know, prolific he is. And I mean, the, the man's a workhorse. It seems like he has a new series every year. 
Um, yeah, I mean, October is basically like Netflix and Mike Flanagan are, will drop something spooky every appointment, October. Appointment yeah. television, yeah, uh, which is great because I love spooky and I think he more or less puts out good work. Um, he overwrites a lot of scenes and it's very talky and so much of the success or failure of his series are based on if actors can handle that much dialogue and not even dialogue, monologues, like pages and pages of like talking about things that we could be seeing, you know? Yeah. Um, that's my only note. And some actors do it successfully on Midnight Club and others do not. Yeah. And I think that that's something somewhat of a issue of um, when you have to deal with young actors who aren't necessarily known quantities. Um, and then also like compare, you know, unfortunately they end up dealing with the comparison to the people that are essentially in his repertory now, you know, yeah. like he's gotten the, um, the Ryan Murphy kind of like, Oh, this yes. is how these are the people. Um, and that means that sometimes you end up with newer actors be, you know, you can't help but compare them to the, these people who are like really good and are the pros. And it's just, you know, unfortunately that's something that happens a lot, but I, was I will about, say, yeah, the I was character, thinking, the yeah. actress who plays Anya is amazing, amazing. and I so love her and I want to see her in everything. She was Great wonderful. Irish actress. So funny. Loved her so much. Um, I was thinking about Ryan Murphy a lot when I was watching it because also it too felt too long. <laughs> and there were episodes where I was like, I don't know if we need this guys. Um, so I would just encourage everyone make everything shorter. And I know like you're going to say attention spans, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know, like, especially Ryan Murphy. I'm like, my dude, did you need 10 episodes or 12 episodes? Whatever the fuck that was. I don't think you did. Yeah. No. And I think, uh, yeah, make everything shorter. We all know that a good, like a really good 85 minute movie will, uh, love it. Like, love it. is just fantastic. We, we love this. We want to see that we are here for it. Um, don't, you don't need to, that was another thing that I didn't like about smile. It was almost two goddamn hours. It was so long. I think that's why I was falling asleep. If they had condensed that to an hour and a half, I would have been fine. But there yeah. were some scenes where I was like, oh, we do not need this. This is filler. Well, Meredith, we have somehow spoken for an hour. Uh, I mean, given that we managed to speak every day via <laughs> text for, you know, like constantly. Barless. Not even just texting, like sending voice memos back and forth, which is like calling someone, but for millennials. <laughs> Uh, yes. But, uh, you know, at the same time, we are preparing for our lives as uh, weird uh, retirees uh, yes. who talk about things. But yes, we've talked for an hour. We hope that it has been uh, amusing and interesting, as always. Yep. If you have any thoughts about the episode or anything we recommended, anti-recommended, uh, tweet us at Light Trees and Pod, hashtag Light Trees and Pod. We're also on Instagram. You can follow Meredith at Meredith L. Clark. You can follow me at Allison Kilkenny. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. Uh, you can donate there for as little as $5 a month. You can sign up as a VIP and I'll read your messages on the show. Something I never talk about anymore, but would really help the show, if you could rate and review it, I literally never ask you guys to do this and I should because it's how you get on the charts <laughs> at Apple and I just never mention it. So give us a five-star rating over there and that would be nice. And let me know if you did that. So anything else? No, I think that's it. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And while you're at it, get out there and cause a little trouble. <laughs> <laughs>